Welcome to the Money Insights Podcast, where high income earners come to learn wealth building strategies that will take them from high income to high net worth. With your hosts, financial and wealth building experts, Christian Allen and Rod Zabriskie. Welcome into another episode of the Money Insights Podcast, the alternative wealth building podcast for high income earners. Hey, everybody. My name's Christian Allen. I'm here with my co-host. You know him as Rodney, the pods of Risky. Rod, what is up, man? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm I'm really good. And I'm super excited to be talking about today's episode title, which is the five high income pitfalls you must avoid for financial success. Must. You must avoid. But I have a question before we get into our topic today, Rod. Okay. Do you remember what we talked about last week? I do remember what we talked about last week. What was it? We introduced, we uh, unleashed. We unleashed, yes. Un- invest with benefits. Yes, we unleashed our new philosophy of invest with benefits. And so what we're going to talk about today is how inside the philosophy of investing with benefits, you make sure to avoid these five pitfalls there might even be like a couple of bonus pitfalls we'll just have to see how it goes yeah i'm excited to hear it i have no promises but that's it's possible okay okay um so the reason i wanted to bring up the invest with benefits concept is because like i talked about last week i feel like it's more like a philosophy that kind of Mm -hmm. engulfs what we do it's the way that people that have a high net worth especially people that are prolific investors it's what they do right They make sure that their money is multi-purposed, doing as many things for them as possible to make things as efficient as possible. That's what we're about, right? Implementing the strategies that will take you from high income to high net worth the most effectively. Okay, Rod, let's talk about what those five pitfalls are. We're just going to jump right into it. Um, These are pitfalls, Rod, that we... I think we hit on from time to time. I know as I was like going through this and kind of putting the the outline together that um, a lot of the things that we emphasize and talk about made sense to throw out here. Uh-huh. And yet, and yet I think there's a different angle that we're going to take on some of these things. So that being the case, Rod, our first pitfall that you must avoid is lifestyle inflation. Okay, yeah. I feel like this is always talked about in the physician community. It's like yeah. it's like if you're a physician, you're at risk of lifestyle inflation because you go through school, you incur a bunch of debt most likely, right. you live off of, you know, $10 an hour, you're making 60 grand a year in residency, but you're working 84 hours a week to get that, mm-hmm. and it's just you're you're almost like just relieved once you get to that point where you actually get money. So now you get out of residency and you go from 60 or 70,000 to suddenly making, you know, three, 400,000. Yeah. And that's a big difference. Well, all I can tell you, Rod, is that with that kind of a jump, it would be very difficult to avoid lifestyle inflation. Can I just tell you as I'm just, as I'm saying this, it almost feels ridiculous. There has to be some lifestyle. Oh yeah. Inflation. Let's Absolutely. be very clear here. Nobody's saying, okay, get out of residency and live exactly like, okay. (laughs) There are people out there that are saying that, but that's not us. No, that is not us. And what's interesting about it is, is not only were you delaying your ability to to now start to live the life you were hoping to be able to live because you were delayed, you're watching your friends 
it's been like 10 years ago that your best friend from high school got his house, you know, whatever, like, like all the things that you've been <laughs> dreaming of all this time. You're watching. And you're like, your I'm the prestigious do doctor or dentist or whatever. And I'm like, just like scraping to get by. Yeah. Um, and Rod, can I tell you, it's kind of the same if you're a business owner. So if you're out there listening and you're a business owner, you might have gone through a similar process where it's like the school of hard knocks to yeah. build it. Right. Yeah. So it might have taken you 10 years to get to the to like catch up where some of your peers might have been. But then, of course, Rod, once you get on the business track, you have the opportunity to go crazy and surpass yeah. what the traditional um, path usually caps us out at. Yeah, absolutely. But I think you're right. Well, I know you're right. There is some there, right? level of increase. Like you're not going to live like a resident when you get there. Yeah. You just have and to be careful, nor right? should you, nor should you. Right. Right. So when we're talking about lifestyle inflation, um, we're just saying within reason, within yep. reason. And yep. I think everybody like knows what that is, right? Like obviously if you no longer can save a reasonable amount of money or if you're not able to save, then that's probably, that's probably too far. Right. Right. So Brad, we talked about a handful of episodes back, maybe 50 episodes back a while back how we believe like the philosophy around allocating your money. Mm -hmm. And if you're not saving at least 20%, that's what I wanted to get to. If you're not saving at least 20% of your money, you're probably letting lifestyle inflation take it too far. Yeah. What do you think? I, well, I think that's, I think that's totally true. Again, especially because we're talking about high income earners. If you're in that three, four, 500 plus range, then and again, far be it for me to tell someone how much they should live off of. But if you if you can't live off of after tax, right, two, three, four hundred thousand, then take a look then at what, it. what, Rod? Like go back and reevaluate. Okay, or just make more money. Whatever fits whatever <laughs> fits go. for you. I'm okay yeah. with either one. Right. <laughs> so if you're feeling like, okay, I'm I'm running up against it, you've got one of two options. You you either cut it back. Or you make more money, and either one, in my opinion, is a great option. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and the key is it's just planning. It's just being aware and you know being prepared to uh, to be careful on that. Okay, so the Pace first yourself. one, Rod, lifestyle inflation within reason. Yeah. The second financial pitfall that you absolutely must avoid is neglecting emergency funds. I know this is like basic, but can I just tell you? This is this one is like can be as devastating as anything, right? For sure. It's kind of like when we talk about over leveraging money, when we get into mm -hmm. the investment conversation and we're talking about conservative leverage, this is kind of the same thing. You've got to have cash on hand yep. because it makes everything work. Even if like things go a little bit skiwampus, haywire, the economy is not working right, your business doesn't work out right, family emergency, whatever it is, you've got to have cash on hand. And if you do, you can feel feel pretty comfortable and safe that your your plan, your strategy is going to move on long-term without interruption and work the way you plan for it to. Yeah. We often talk about it in terms of liquidity, right? You have to have some level of liquidity, money you have access to, and it can be all those things you talked about. It could include a larger tax bill than you were expecting, right? All of those things. And it absolutely could. And, well, and especially, I mean, I, I think you brought up a good point with leverage. Uh, I think to the extent that you're using leverage, you especially need to look closely at your liquidity because things go awry, 
they they just do and so we have to be prepared and, and planning for that okay rod let's get into the next one okay so we've talked about lifestyle inflation we've talked about neglecting emergency funds um and again these are pretty obvious but it's important it's important mm -hmm. okay so the next one is over concentration in investments Okay, this one might sound a little crazy coming from us since we're always talking about the value of investing, yeah. right? Our whole philosophy is invest with benefits. Mm -hmm. So why in the world would over-concentration investments potentially be a pitfall that our listeners must avoid? It's, in, it's all in how you invest. So what we're getting at here is you don't want to rely too heavily in any single asset class. And... I guess maybe the danger from even from our standpoint is our examples so often are around real estate because 90 plus percent of the people we work with are investing in real estate in some form. And, and hopefully, I mean, hopefully that's not the case. We're not only talking about real estate, but hopefully also we're not making people feel like that real estate is the end all be all. That's the only place you need to go, etc. Because, it's absolutely not true. And I know I've talked about this probably on a pretty regular basis, but we just run into people who say uh, that they've, they've been around, they've done, done a bunch of stuff. And then they say, Hey, this is the best place to invest my money. So this is the only place I'm going to invest my money. And the first part of that might be true. Like they may have truly identified for them the best place to invest. And so logically it just makes sense i'm going to put everything in the best place uh, but but there's obviously danger in that so if we're not diversifying the risk of where we invest including adding pieces in addition to whatever we feel is the best or the the best fit for, for what we're doing if we don't do that we're just putting ourselves in in undue danger okay rod i'm going to take i'm going to take a little bit of a different uh angle on this okay because when i saw over concentration in like when i when i thought of this over concentration investments what i really think of is getting there too fast so in other words financial building a financial your your net worth is mm. or, or happens in phases right uh, yeah so what we basically discussed what we basically talked about in these the previous two pitfalls were building blocks that have to happen that have to be in place before it makes sense for you to be an investor yeah. right so don't be an investor if you don't have an emergency fund right yeah don't be an investor if your lifestyle is crazy you're spending too much you've got money on credit cards and you're like oh but i've got to i've got to get as much money as i can into crypto yeah right those are out of whack so in that world you're now that's not necessarily talking about an over concentration in a single asset class. That's just saying like you're, you're going there too quickly. You're getting mm -hmm. to the investment phase before it actually makes sense to. So build on those, make sure you have the, you've taken care of the previous two pitfalls. And once you, once you've done that, you can feel a lot more freedom, but then to your point, Rod, once you get into the investment element, it's important to be diversified among different asset classes. Because of course, again, I give the example of crypto, you get all excited about it and mm -hmm. and you put a bunch of money there and suddenly one day you realize like you know 74% of it's gone and you don't feel so good so yeah. it just makes a lot more sense to be thoughtful about that and of course when we talk about you know 
risk allocation. And that's really what we're talking about, mm -hmm. right? We're talking about risk here. There, there's once the building blocks are in place, you really can go with like whatever you feel the most comfortable with, whatever you mm -hmm. like, as long as you can take a long-term approach. Yeah. So to the extent that those things are in place, it gives you that freedom and flexibility to do that. Again, not that we would suggest going, you know, putting all of your money in crypto once you've got your emergency fund and your lifestyle uh, inflation under control. Right. But if you wanted to do that and it's safe and comfortable for you, then you totally could. And that it's those building blocks that kind of give you that permission slip. And one thing that we've seen on this, just to kind of back up your point, especially with real estate, with syndications, uh, they were so hot for, for several years. Yeah, that's looked a good like, one. Looked like it couldn't fail. And it can 25, so, 30%. Just you throw like a, clockwork. You, yeah, you throw a, you throw, it, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the tech boom, right? You yeah. throw a dart at any stock or now, again, I'm not suggesting that there's not better or worse places to invest inside the syndication world, but your point, Rod, is right on track. Yeah. So we have, and we saw a lot of people get overextended in that, not kind of keeping track of or, or making sure that they had uh, sufficient emergency funds backing them up. And now you have this lack of liquidity out there. And now there may be cash calls. There may be uh, delays in, in re well, I was going to say refi, maybe re elimination of refi delay in sale of properties, et cetera, that just kind of wreaks havoc. And, and to begin with, it wasn't what you're planning on anyway. So no matter how you cut it, it's going to be frustrating. But if, if to add to that, you didn't have sufficient reserves, sufficient emergency fund in place. Now it's starting to jeopardize your ability to, to do what you need to do on a daily basis. Right. And that's just, that's just ridiculous, right? There's no reason for it ever to get that way. If it's one thing, right. If there's like some crazy catastrophe that comes up. It's one thing if you're living paycheck to paycheck and you run into difficult financial, a difficult financial situation. But can I just tell you from my perspective, and maybe this is a little too harsh, but if you're a high income earner, there's really no excuse for you to run into difficult financial situations. Now, now I, I shouldn't say it that way. You shouldn't, it shouldn't be so catastrophic that it's going to ruin your whole financial world. Mm -hmm. Again, all you have to do is make sure you put the building blocks in place first. Yeah. Once you do that, you can go crazy, invest with benefits all over the place. Yeah. And, and maybe uh, to, to take another angle on that, and again, I'm going back to the emergency fund thing. So sorry, I'm kind of retro a little bit, but the, the thing that I think high incomers especially get in, in kind of danger of is the, the income that you have coming in You've again, you've worked hard. It's consistent. Now you're at a place where, where you just know, Hey, month to month, I have a bunch of money coming in. And so the danger can be, I'm going to rely on that instead of some sort of building up some sort of emergency fund. Mm, and yeah. And so you kind of, the safety net. Yeah. You overextend yourself because you just have this comfort level. And, and I'm not saying that it's not real and it's not there, but if, if your monthly income is whatever, 50 grand, and you're into a problem where you need a hundred grand right now. Well, you're in trouble. Yeah, that's a problem. And so planning for those types of things, which again is really easy if you just be have a little bit of discipline. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, we I could get into it. I, I get why it happens. I get why yeah, all of sure. these 
these things come into play. But at the end of the day, I think there's no excuse for high income earners to run into it if they'll just do the the right things first. Yeah. Okay. Rod, we've talked about lifestyle inflation, emergency funds, over-concentration investments. The next one is ignoring tax efficiency. Whew, this is a big one. Uh, I We talk about it like relentlessly mm -hmm. because if you haven't got that message across, taxes, taxes, taxes are a huge part of the equation, both with your income, with your investments, with your savings. It has this massive impact on everything that you're doing. And so it just makes sense to try to be efficient there. That's like where we can do the most, right? Yeah. Like I would suggest that taxes are every bit, every bit as important to be considering as investment returns. Yeah. Or even how you earn your money now, right? Because it all yeah. comes, it all goes hand in hand, how you earn your money, how you invest, all of those things, if done in the right way, can lead to those kinds of tax efficiencies. Good news, Rod. That is one way that we believe investing with benefits is, is one of the ways. It's one of the benefits, right? Yep. Making yep. sure that the strategies that you utilize in your investing and really across the board are optimizing or creating as much tax efficiency as possible. Now, this is a weird one. Can I just say, like, if you're thinking, if you're if you're listening to us and you're thinking, okay, Christian, I'm trying to do this. Um, but I'm still paying a boatload in taxes. Mm -hmm. Okay. First of all, you're not alone. It's not like it's just this easy thing where it's like, oh, you know, I want to optimize for taxes. And, and because I say that out loud, I suddenly go from 35 to 20, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's very specific things that have to happen. And our experience is that it's a building and a process to yeah. get to a place where you can become tax efficient, Yeah. right? So for a lot of people, year one, year two, year, like it might take a little bit of time because the investments have to build, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of time we're talking, a lot of times we're talking about um, getting depreciation or, you know, those kinds of things. Some of that I can get up front, but some of that happens on an ongoing basis. And so it takes time to build the portfolio that creates the tax benefits. Yeah. So it's two sides to that coin. Yep. And I can I give a quick example on that? Please. Uh, because... We get so excited. We talk about bonus depreciation and and getting that, like you said, getting as much of it up front as possible. And and people hear that and they, you know, you, you go and invest in a syndication and you and you as you're in the course of doing your due diligence, you make sure that they're doing the the cost segregation so you can get your bonus yep. depreciation, all that up front. And and I went I did I went through the same thing. And then you get it, and then you realize, oh, I have all of these losses but they're passive losses and I can't count them against my active income. And it turns out because this is like the, the beginning of my uh, alternative investing adventure, I don't have a lot of act or passive income that I can use those passive losses against. Right. Yep. Um, so that like you're saying, it, it's kind of becomes a building process because with that and with, well, the good news is those losses carry over. Right. So it's not like they yep. are lost. I just I just can't use them today. I have to use them later as I start to take in the active or the passive income that I can use the passive losses against. Um, but then the next time you do it, you're a little better off because now you have passive income. And the more you go, the more you build, especially then as you have liquidity events, something sells and you get 170% of what you had put in or you know, whatever, and you have these now a bunch of gains. Um, now 
now the losses as you use them are, are more useful for you because yeah. you take those those active gain or sorry passive gains and you go and invest in another passive investment that where you get the bonus depreciation now all of that bonus depreciation is used against the passive gains that you got on the previous investment and so it, it builds it's this like snowball that builds over time you just have to understand that there is a starting point take that starting point and make the most of it and then carry those losses forward to the extent you can't use them now now just to be clear there are things that we can do that are strategic that will lower our taxable income immediately as well yeah but like the long-term more impactful powerful strategy is to create the investments and the passive losses going together like if you can do that like i think for most of us right the goal is for the for our investment income to become greater than our working income Mm -hmm. right that kind of gives the freedom flexibility and so um again making sure you're just doing taking the right steps along the way but the reason i brought it up was more so that if you're listening to this you're thinking okay, I still had an effective tax rate that was way higher than I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. Just understand that keep doing those right things and that will continue to improve and go down over time. And then of course, if it makes sense and you have opportunities to do something that's maybe more aggressive on the front end from an income tax standpoint, then take it. But again, I, it, you just have to realize that if you're a W-2 earner, those are going to be pretty limited. So yeah. it's really going to be what you can do on the the investment side if you're if you're a business owner then you know there's more options but even those rots many of those are just pushing the tax can down the road mm-hmm. which doesn't have to be a bad thing necessarily right but it, but it's part of the overall strategic plan one of the other one of the other pitfalls that i probably should uh, bonus pitfall number 1 Rod, all right okay here it is putting too much money in retirement accounts yeah I see it all the time. Um, high income earners, they're especially W two high income earners. They're just shoveling as much money into four hundred one ks and IRAs as they possibly can. Mm-hmm. And while there is an immediate value to that in terms of reducing income, you're going to pay the piper at some point, and you have to mm-hmm. ask yourself the question: well, Where are taxes going, and where's my income tax bracket? Now, if I'm if I'm going to work for five, 10 years, save up as much as I can, and then live off of the minimum I can possibly live off of, if that's if that's your strategy, then the retirement plan strategy strategy can work, mm-hmm. and it'll do what you want. Yeah. But if that's not your plan, you're going to get da- you're going to get down the road and feel like I just put myself in a worse situation. Yeah, and I I like to think of this as. Uh, we we talk about diversification, and it's almost always in the in the context of risk diversification. That's usually where we use it. In this case, I like to use the term of tax diversification. So, like you said, having some money going into those plans is not is not necessarily wrong. Uh, however, it's probably in your best interest to look for other ways to other places you can be putting your money that gives you different tax consequences, so that as you're going, you can do, you have more opportunities for doing planning. When you get into retirement, you have more, you can be more creative in the way that you take your income so that you can manage your taxes. So in other words, having money that you're setting aside today that you are paying the tax on, you just accept that and you're okay with that because you're putting it in a place where it grows, say a Roth or say a life insurance policy later on down the road, when you take that money back out, it's going to be 
income tax free. And that's hugely impactful, especially if you have retirement money, right? Because now you're, like you said, you're balancing that out. The last thing you want is to be taking all of your money from from qualified accounts, yeah. and suddenly you find that you're now in retirement. You you paid off your house. Um, you don't have a lot. You know, kids are gone. You don't mm -hmm. have tax deductions, and suddenly you're paying thirty seven percent on your retirement money. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, Rod. That is a pitfall and bonus pitfall. Okay, that was ignoring tax efficiency and putting too much money into retirement accounts. Our fifth official pitfall, Rod, is inadequate estate planning. And I'm adding a, a half bonus. Okay. And it is also asset protection. Okay. So estate planning and asset protection, while they're not the same thing, they kind of go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. It's really critical that both of those things take place. And, and it's really easy, Rod. Like, like asset protection is kind of an obvious one because obviously if I get sued or some sort of event comes and I've just got to pay that out of my pocket, mm -hmm. well, that could derail me in a major way. Absolutely. So here's the best part. It's really easy to put. Okay. So if you're listening to me today and you don't, you haven't done this, just go out and do it like today. Okay. First thing you do. Okay. Everybody's got homeowners and auto insurance, yep. right? So if you don't have an umbrella policy, just go get it. It's like a few hundred bucks a year and it can cover anything and everything above and beyond what your basic insurances cover. Yeah. So I just genuinely believe if you're a high income earner, you absolutely need to have an umbrella policy. I would say that's true for everybody. And, and it's, but like you said, it's the easiest thing to add to the plan because in asset protection, in estate planning, you can go and get really fancy and and have trusts and, and do those things, which again, I think you should, depending on where yeah, you are in your journey, you'll, Rod, you'll, who's the you'll boss? add those things. That's right. The situation um, is boss in case you were wondering. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the, the point is that that one, it's just so easy. You just plug it in today. If you don't have an umbrella to see policy, go do your, it. Call your yep. insurance broker today and say, hey, I need 2 million, I need 5 million, whatever you, whatever that appropriate number is. Because like like you're saying, in your the liability you covered have covers you have with your homeowners in the you know uh, covers that you have with your car insurance, there are limits. And those there's very specific and spelled out there. You may not know what they are. I don't necessarily know what mine are, but I don't I don't worry about it because I have the umbrella policy. That that's the whole point. I don't that's have to good. worry about it. Yeah, I feel I feel like I upped mine not that long ago. So I think it's like three or five million. It might be five million now. Okay. But yeah. here's the thing: like it just feels it feels nice to know that regardless, even if let's say, like you said, let's say that the fancy stuff didn't do exactly what I wanted it to do, mm -hmm. or let's say that I'm still in the process of trying to put those pieces together, and sometimes they can be complex um, and take time. Yeah. And sometimes I just may not be ready to get into that stuff. Well, mm -hmm. guess what? This is the easiest way to take care of. Okay. Do you think we've beat on that enough? Well, actually, no, because I have one oh, okay, other okay, point okay. with it. Because <laughs> we've been talking about it just in terms of the actual dollars of, oh, instead of yeah. having whatever, $750,000 of limit, now I have three or five or whatever. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that comes with that is the, you know, now you have the insurance company backing you up. Because in other words, mm. if let's say that you have someone, you, you caused a, a car accident, or maybe one of your kids did. 
and now you're being sued for whatever, two and a half million dollars, but your limits are at 750,000, your insurance company is going to be just as happy to write the $750,000 check and walk away. However, they're like, you, you got it. You got it from here. We've taken yeah, care of our stuff. We, we did our thing. However, if you have a whatever, $5 million umbrella policy and now the insurance company would be on the hook for the full two and a half million, they're, they're going to fight tooth and nail to, to not pay anything out at all or That's pay true. as little as possible. And so now you're not fighting that fight on your own. You got those attorneys over at the insurance company and they're fighting that fight for you. Okay, Rod, that was, we've really gone on and on in our bonus yeah. high income pitfall. Talk a little bit about inadequate estate planning, like not preparing for the actual transfer of wealth. Yeah. Why is that a critical pitfall? Okay. So there is a high income earner that comes to mind and he okay. is the uh, artist formerly known as Prince. Oh, that one. I was, I thought you were busting out a client. I'm like, okay, I'm oh, yeah. interested. <laughs> no, this is to be yeah. clear. Uh, the artist formerly known as Prince was not a client of ours. It's true. It's true. Unfortunately, um, that would have been fun. Yeah. Well, but the even more unfortunate thing is that he had this enormous wealth yeah. and had done absolutely zero planning, zero Can estate Can I tell planning. you a story about this really quick? Yeah. Uh, oh, yours, is, yours is more important, but I just want to have a little interjection here. So I remember a story. Um, you remember Carlos Boozer played for the jazz? Yeah. Okay. He played for the jazz. Apparently, Carlos Boozer owned a house and I, and I think it must've been like in Cleveland. I, I feel like Carlos Boozer was in Cleveland before that. Anyway, okay. he owned a house somewhere and Prince rented it from him, rented it out from him. Okay. But they ended up in this lawsuit because Prince like apparently painted it all purple and like all sorts. <laughs> and so when he got back, it was totally redone in Prince style. And that was just no good. Anyway, it was just a funny. So when I think of Prince Rod, has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but that's what I think of. It's the Carlos Boozer. Other house than is, you know, this is what it feels like when the doves cry and painted in purple rain. <laughs> okay, sorry. Keep going back to your yeah. Point. Well, so, so Prince, he he didn't do it right, is what you're saying. Yeah. So uh, at the end of the day, all that that you know massive wealth out there is now put in the hands of a judge who decides oh, what's going to happen. Man. With it. No will, no trust, no. He literally uh, had nothing. Nothing. Oh, absolutely nothing. Does he? So, does, I don't know if he has like family or people he cared about for the, to go to, but like still, yeah. you would even okay for me. Even if I didn't, now I have kids and family and people. I'm I would be very deliberate. Uh -huh. But even if I didn't have that, I still feel like I would be deliberate. I would want to say like, okay, this is an organization that I care about, that I'm passionate mm -hmm. about, or this is these are people that I care about, whatever. And mm -hmm. I would want to do that, but. Prince was kind of like, you know, we'll just we'll just let things go. And it's obviously an extreme example, but I think what what I see with a lot of high income earners and and business owners, you know, etc., you just like head down, working hard, making cool things happen, kind of living the life that, that you want to live or, or kind of building toward that and not thinking about some of these things. So that's why it's a pitfall. That's why we're bringing it up both on the estate planning side and on the asset protection side is to just from time to time, take a look around, say, okay, am I protected? Am I, and are my kids protected? Or do I have the things in place that will uh, help 
you know, have this uh, transfer of wealth in the most efficient way and, and in really in the way I want it to happen, right? Being intended, intentional with how that's happening. Okay, Rod, let's recap our five strategies okay. um, and then our sixth, our bonus one and our bonus, our bonus half strategy. Or okay. I say strategy pitfalls. Okay. So next we're going to recap our five pitfalls along with our bonus pitfall and our half bonus pitfall. <laughs> okay. And then Rod, we're going to offer some practical suggestions. If they're not very obvious already, we're going to mm -hmm. make sure it's super clear exactly what you should do to make sure that you avoid these pitfalls so that you can prolifically invest with benefits. Okay. So the first one, Rod, do you remember what it was? Lifestyle inflation. Lifestyle inflation. Second one, neglecting em emergency funds. Third. Overconcentration on investments. We're taking turns, Rod, if you can tell. Four, Says ignoring tax efficiency. Number five. Inadequate estate planning. Do you remember Do you remember our two bonuses? The, the first bonus was putting too much into retirement plans. Good. Nice and work, the, Rod. Half bonus because it's so interrelated with estate planning is asset protection. Okay, now we got to talk about uh, how to make sure we're doing this. Because if they're not obvious, we're just going to make sure that it's very, very clear. So let's get to our first one: lifestyle inflation. Rod, what to do if you're having an issue with lifestyle inflation? Give yeah, give our listeners some practical, actionable advice. So if you're already there or you're building toward becoming a high income. Uh, and and you are saying I want to do it right. Set a budget. Uh, track budgets expenses. are the worst, but just do it. <laughs> just do it. And here's here's what I would say. Um, when you do it, like if you'll do it up front, set the budget, track the expenses. If you do that for even six months to a year, and you really get a feel for for the flow of things, you don't have to keep keep having that level of attention on it. You, you can take a, a higher level view on it and be okay. But yeah. but start there. Start with the, the detailed look at it. Understand, you know, again, being intentional with where you want your money to go, tracking it to make sure that's what's happening and, and build a flow. Once you build the flow, then you can take a step back and you don't have to be quite as attentive. There's like hard budgeters and there's soft budgeters, right? Yeah. And you're saying start by being a hard budgeter and then you work into that soft budget. I think, well, I think you make a good point because personality comes into this. My mom is a hard budgeter. And has she's been, never leaving that. No, she couldn't. Like she that, loves that's it. Just that's has to she be, is. she has to that's know exactly what's happening. And so I'm not going to suggest that she should do anything different. Uh, Other I have, than moving to like technology instead of writing checks and like, balancing her checkbook yeah yeah my I mom my mom always balanced her checkbook always yeah. and it was like even when she had a hard time like call it call one of the kids over like i, I can't figure out it. rod do we really need a balanced checkbook <laughs> isn't there okay. a better way this is getting now to me because <laughs> even though my mom showed me the way and and uh, again does an amazing job with it i i just i just haven't ever been able to stay on that level of detail it's amazing but i've been there if you're doing that congratulations yeah and i've been on that level of detail enough so that i, I feel comfortable with what i'm doing and then and then going back and from time to time taking a closer look and saying okay 
do I have whatever subscriptions that I no longer am using and, and need to cancel or, or, or whatever, like, like do those things, even if you're not in the minute details of the minute. Okay. Simple and straightforward. If you have lifestyle inflation issues, you've got to buckle down and create a budget, which by the way, is like one of those like gross words that when I hear it, I'm like, Ooh, I, I get a little that. sick. I, I hate it. Would, but can I just tell you, if if that's you, because here's the thing, like if you just are a natural budgeter and like you can go soft budgeting from the beginning, if you just are saving tons of money, mm -hmm. then it's probably not that important that you're like meticulously detailed. Yeah. This is specifically advice for the lifestyle and inflation crowd, which can I be honest yeah. with you? It's probably not a lot of the people we're that are listening here. Most of the people that we talk to are pretty darn good at setting aside money. Yeah, that's why they we end up bumping into each other, right? Yeah, that's why we work together. Okay. Yep. Uh, number one and number two are basically joined at the hip rod. Mm -hmm. It is prior. Why can't I say that word? It is prioritizing emergency funds. Okay, this is again, this is a budgeting thing. Mm -hmm. So it the reason that you wouldn't have an emergency fund would probably be because you have a lifestyle inflation issue, right? Yeah. So Again, this isn't probably, this isn't likely many of the people listening to this, but if it is you, the same advice that goes for number one is also for number two. You've got to be disciplined in making sure that at least that you build up the emergency fund, make sure that it's, I think it should be as a high income earner. I feel like it should be at least six months of living expenses. Uh, maybe a year would be more appropriate. Mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't mean that it all has to be sitting in a bank account necessarily, yeah, I hope but not. having that I think is really important. Yep. Um, okay. So same advice for both of those. Rod, on the next one, what's your advice for overcoming over-concentration in one asset class? Yeah, it's... Oh, okay, so here's the thing. As a starting point, you have to start somewhere. So in the beginning, you will be... <laughs> too heavy into one asset class. And this is especially true, I would say, of business owners, right? You're building your business. Uh, that yeah, becomes your, your first big it. asset. And the temptation is to just always be putting all your money back into the business because that's where you create the most, most value. But that's danger because things can happen. And if everything is in your business and something happens to your business, now you're starting over. So you have to start diversifying away from again whatever your starting point was go in intentionally and say uh again the business owner i am going to build the business i'm going to get to a certain place and then i'm going to start carving off money to go and invest in other places so i can diversify i love it even if you're not a business owner you're picking a starting point with your investments you pick that starting point could be the crypto could be the the real estate could be the atm fund whatever it is you have a starting point and you are too heavy in one, but then you're going to build in other ways from there. You know what you can be doing even, even from day one, like you might be too heavily invested in a single asset class. However, mm -hmm. however, if you're focused on investing with benefits, Rod, you can still multi-purpose your money to do uh, again, multiple things, right? That's the whole <laughs> idea behind multi-purposing. Yep. I can create a tax benefit an investment benefit and a um, savings benefit, like a emergency benefit, right? Mm -hmm. I can do multiple things with the same dollar. As a good example, the investment optimizer just like is built 
to do multiple things. And it's one of the kind of no brainer reasons that we talk about it with basically everybody, mm -hmm. because it's a really great way to accomplish like four out of these five things. Yep. Absolutely. All in one, one fail swoop. And okay, including is, the bonus half. Well, bonus yes, one and a half. One and a half. You can nail, yeah. you can knock out a lot of stuff. Now, we're not suggesting, and I always want to remind people this, we're not suggesting that life insurance is the end-all be-all investment. Mm -hmm. What we're suggesting is it's an incredible multi-purpose tool that allows us to actually invest prolifically, invest with benefits, mm -hmm. the tax benefits, the estate planning benefits, the retirement benefits, the um, helps fund. us overcome the five, wow, can't talk, Rod, helps us overcome our pitfalls. It just does a lot of things. Okay, but this wasn't supposed to be a rant about the investment optimizer. But I have another piece of advice. If you're not using the investment optimizer and you're listening to this, you should definitely email Rod and start using it because if you're an investor, it just makes so much sense, yep. right? You know what, Rod? I thought, oh, I forgot. One of the things I wanted to do on this episode. Okay, I'm going to describe. Actually, I'm going to let you describe it, Rod. Okay. So I wanted to do this on our Invest with Benefits Unleashed episode, and then I forgot. But can you do us a quick favor? I know I'm mm -hmm. on a I'm on a tangent here, but can you describe for us, Rod, how investing with benefits or using the investment optimizer, specifically in this case, actually produces a higher return? Do you remember that where we talked yeah. about depreciation? Do, do you have those numbers in your head? I do. Yep. Okay, tell us it. So the example we use is uh, the ATM fund, right? We invest yes. in it. Mm -hmm. You. you uh, Put a chunk of cash in. In in this example, it's one hundred four thousand dollars. Not sure how they mm -hmm. came up with one hundred four instead of a hundred or something different, but it's one hundred four. One hundred four. Yep. And then it starts to produce. After a few months, it starts to produce basically two thousand a month of income for seven years. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So by itself, it's it's pretty powerful. The, yeah. the pro forma comes out and it says it's about a sixteen and a half percent IRR. If that's all you have, if you're just and that's looking really at the dollars good, going in, right? That's awesome. Back. Yep. Now, at the end of the seven years, you don't have an asset to show for it, except it really is con concentrated completely on the cash flow. When you add the investment optimizer, so in other words, the money that you're using, this $104,000 is money that you've already put into a life insurance policy, optimized to, to grow the cash value, et cetera. And you're taking a loan against that and using that $104,000 to go out and invest into this ATM fund to create that cash flow. In the meantime, your the hundred four thousand dollars of cash value that you use to collateralize that loan stays there and continues to grow. And as you get that cash flow, you're flowing it back towards that to pay down the loan. Okay. As you do that, you turn that sixteen and a half percent return into twenty point eight percent. That's crazy. IRR just annualized. doing just flowing it through the policy. We've now yep. increased it by four percent. Yep, it's wild. Yep. And then if you have the depreciation, okay, you were going to. Yeah, that. exactly. So then on the pro forma, if you say, well, it was 16 and a half percent before I can included any of the, the additional tax uh, benefits with it, depreciation, bonus depreciation, that 16 and a half turns into 30.7. So almost doubles it, the IRR, just by having that tax benefit. You remember how we talked about tax optimization being one of the five pitfalls? Yep. It's a huge pitfall. If you, if you're like, you know what? I could have produced a 30% return just by taking depreciation, bonus depreciation, mm -hmm. or I could get the 16% return. I, I don't think it's worth it to do that. <laughs> like, 
it's crazy right it like if you just don't know about that though like you're missing such a great opportunity okay keep going yeah yeah so uh so the 16 and a half turns into 30.7 and then when you couple it with the investment optimizer it turns it into 37 percent return which Ooh. isn't that interesting though the 16 turned into 20 so four percent ish return difference but when you add the depreciation and you're getting an additional return so the 30 turns into 37 it's like this amplification of of return of the cash flow because of the way you, that you're flowing it through the investment optimizer it's more than a four percent increase if you're getting a better return on the investment it's like a perfect example of what we mean when we're talking when we're saying invest with benefits right yeah you're getting the all of the benefits that come with the investment optimizer you want to talk about that then you're adding the tax benefits and yep. suddenly you're producing this massive return without taking on any more risk. Mm -hmm. Pretty wild. Okay. Okay. Sorry for that. I just felt like I, I wanted to go there and I had forgotten earlier. Okay. Rod, we were on diversifying investment. Which one are we on now? Yeah, that was part of diversifying investment. At least that's where we branched from. Okay. So what's our advice? Is there any other advice that we need to give people on the tax op optimization book we didn't really hit on that yet have we yeah i mean we kind of have it's like been interwoven with a okay lot of stuff we're doing quick advice quick advice on this first of all the key is to know that there's opportunities that exist out there you have to become educated about it your cpa is not likely to be the one driving this mm -hmm. so if you think that you're just going to hire somebody and they're going to drive the this bent the benefits that you're looking for they're going to optimize your taxes i can tell you from experience you're likely not going to there's probably a few out there right mm -hmm. but for the most part you have to be the one driving it so my advice rod is to become aware of it and start becoming educated enough that you have the power and ability to actually drive those things make sure that you're when you're investing you're talking to your cpa about the way you're doing it so that they can account for things properly. Yep. Uh, make sure that your investments have that built into them so that you can produce that extra return without taking on any more risk. Anyway, those are all really simple ways that you can focus even today on um, avoiding that pitfall of yeah. not, not considering taxes. And, and one more thought on that, when you're deciding on where you're going to invest, Make that part of your due diligence. Again, if you're investing with a, a syndicator, are they doing the cost segregation analysis? That's up to them. You can't decide to do that on your own as a limited partner investor. They have to That's choose. That's why you've to got to pick on the front end across the board. Yep. Yeah. Good advice. Okay, Rod, we're gonna close this up. One more. We got one more. And the simple advice is on the estate planning side is just to do it. Mm -hmm. um, that's really all there is to it. Like like you said there like on the asset protection side there's a couple of simple things like getting the umbrella policy will is kind of like an end all fix yeah. even if you don't have anything else done you do that then at least you're you're likely to be safe right on the estate planning side it's not quite as simple you've got to at least go in make sure that you've got your wills trusts at least those types of things you know healthcare directives power of attorney all of the things that are critical and important so that you can you know, have a smooth wealth transfer that's not ending up in probate. Yep. Um, and then as you continue to grow in your wealth, you can get really strategic about the way you're passing on money so that it can, again, you can optimize what's going from one generation to the next. But the starting point is 
make sure you're just doing it. Yep. Okay. Is there anything else you want to hit on, Rod? I don't think so. Don't put too much money in your retirement accounts. That's that's Definitely. my advice on that one. Yep. Pretty simple. All right. I have one final piece of advice for everyone. Okay. If you're going to invest, and I know most of you are, make sure to invest with benefits. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Money Insights Podcast. To learn more about the financial and business strategies discussed in this show, please visit moneyinsights.net. The views and opinions expressed on the Money Insights Podcast are not intended to be individual financial, tax, or legal advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making financial decisions. And if you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This will help others find the show and learn wealth building strategies for themselves. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll catch you in the next episode.